This is the CQ Roll Call Policy and Politics Podcast, and I'm Tanvi Misra, an immigration reporter here. President Donald Trump was elected to office nearly four years ago on promises of building a wall and shutting out immigrants. He's largely delivered. And while the pros and cons of his approach are being hashed out in partisan terms in the national debate, there are real people whose lives have been irrevocably changed because of Trump-era policies. This is one such individual's story. This special report you're about to hear is based on tapes obtained through a public records request and shared with CQ Roll Call. They're being released for the first time. These are rare audio recordings from law enforcement interviews conducted after one young man's death, Jean Jimenez Joseph. His 2017 death in government custody shines a spotlight on where immigration policy has landed in this era. A note of warning, some of the audio contains sensitive language and details about suicide. Yeah, sorry to meet under these circumstances. It's okay. Uh, but I'm James Gibson okay. uh, with the GBI. Uh, we start out all of our from all of our interviews with you guys by reading this okay. statement. Um, this investigation is to determine whether any criminal laws have been violated that resulted in the death of Mr. Jimenez. Jimenez Joseph. Um, His first name was Jean. I got you. It's early morning on May 15, 2017. State law enforcement has been called to the Stewart Detention Center in Lumpkin, Georgia. This is one of the biggest immigration and customs enforcement facilities in the country, and it's operated by a private prison company called Core Civic. So, um, kind of start from the beginning. I mean, tell me, tell me what happened this morning. We were um, they called a medical emergency at around twelve forty-five. Okay. Um, once we responded to it, by the time we got to the unit, about four minutes later, at twelve fifty-nine. Um, we saw uh, Mr. Jimenez laying on the floor. He, uh, his, his lips, his fingertips, and his toes, uh-huh. they were blue, purplish okay. color. Um, they had already cut him down and removed the sheet from around okay. his neck. Um, so when we took over, we continued CPR after we, you know, assessed he didn't have a pulse, he wasn't breathing, anything. So we did a couple rounds of CPR with the breast. The person who's taken his own life is Jean Jimenez Joseph, then 27 years old. While he was originally from Panama, Jean had lived most of his life in America. Local law enforcement has to be called every time a detainee dies. So officers from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation are there interviewing employees on shift that day. Their recordings provide a rare look behind an event that has become far too common at such detention centers. Here, and officers questioning Chantel Anderson, a registered nurse at the facility. We did uh, CPR on him for a long time. Uh, maybe about, so we got down there about 12, 12.50, we started. Probably a good 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes we did CPR. ICE's public notification about the incident came out later that day. It noted that Jean was pronounced dead at 2.15 a.m., around the same time he arrived at the hospital. The preliminary cause of death was ruled suicide. Nurse Anderson had talked to the young man earlier that night when she went to give him his psychiatric medication. He was such a good kid, though. He was very friendly. <laughs> so I've seen him every day since Friday. He was showed me a picture that he was drawing of himself. And he was, had been working on it, and it's very nice, very detailed. And last night when I went down there, 
He said, look, I finished it. What time was that? Um, it was close to approximately 9 o'clock. I said, are you doing okay? And he was like, yeah, I'm good. I was like, okay. And then he, he was like, look, I finished it. And he was like, um, I said, good job. And he said, um, does it look like me? And I was like, yeah, it looks like you, but you look older in the picture than you do in person. He smiles and he's like, okay. And I said, have a good night. And he said, you too. Jean's death is just one of over 50 at ICE facilities since 2017. 21 of these deaths happened in fiscal year 2020 alone. So between October 2019 through September 2020. It's the highest number since 2004, since the Bush administration was in office. Danielle Bennett, a spokesperson for ICE, sent CQ roll call the following statement on the increase in ICE deaths. While deaths in ICE custody are exceedingly rare, these events are unfortunate and always the cause for concern. Like all agencies and institutions around the world this year, ICE has faced serious challenges due to the unprecedented pandemic, unquote. Bennett added that ICE had reduced its detention population during the pandemic and had, quote, placed a greater focus on suicide prevention. It is working to improve its suicide risk assessment tools and providing more robust suicide prevention training for detention center staff, unquote. But the increasing number of deaths in ICE custody have caught the attention of lawmakers. They've become the subject of many congressional hearings in recent years. That increased scrutiny is partly because of the Trump administration's anti-immigrant rhetoric, and partly its policies that emphasize longer detention. The House Oversight and Reform Committee recently released a report on such deaths that was based on a review of numerous internal documents. The investigation revealed a pattern of problems, especially at privately run facilities. Details included cases of medical misdiagnosis, incomplete or incorrect treatment for chronic illnesses, grossly negligent responses to infectious diseases, including hepatitis, tuberculosis, meningitis, and HIV, severe delays in emergency responses to strokes and heart attacks, inattentive suicide watches, and deficiencies in psychiatric care. One of the cases highlighted in this report was Jean's. And among the failures that led to his suicide, he was left unchecked. An employee falsified records to say he was monitoring him when he wasn't. How Jean ended up at Stewart and how he died there provides a window into systemic issues in immigrant detention advocates have been raising alarm over for decades. This is Andrew Free, an immigration and civil rights lawyer from Nashville, Tennessee. What we see in Gene's case is that even where the agency finds uh, specific misconduct by the contractor and by its own medical personnel, nothing changes, not a thing. He works on cases involving detention and deportation. He got involved with this case soon after Gene's death. He represents Gene's estate and his family and has filed lawsuits on their behalf. There are no situations in which medical abuse and neglect will move ICE leadership to take different action. There is no reform that they will stomach in response to these tragedies. And why do you think that is? Because that's what they're set up to do. Because detention is set up to deter migration 
And, and more, more to the point, to deter it by deterring people from exercising their legal rights. For Oscar Brian Joseph, Gene's younger sibling, it's the mundane memories of his brother that come to mind. I remember we're in the living room uh, of, um, of our uh, new home when we moved here into North Carolina. Um, and I remember we're wrestling. Things got serious. And uh, I remember we <laughs> we pushed the couch um, because we're wrestling. And he, like, pushed me against the couch. And we ended up putting a hole in the wall. Right. And uh, my, my parents were gone at that time. And uh, we ended up patching it up. And I think they never found it. We don't live there anymore. We never got yelled at for it. <laughs> so uh, that's definitely, you know, the type of brotherly love we had. You know, even though sometimes here and there as brothers, we bump heads. But when it was time to come together, um, <laughs> when we really needed to, we really would. So how did Gene, a playful young man with an artistic sensibility, who charmed even those who knew him briefly end up in immigrant detention. So Gene was a 27-year-old DACA recipient who had grown up in the United States and who had um, lived a, a slice of the American dream growing up in Kansas City and then moving with his family to North Carolina. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Gene experienced what a lot of folks in the United States experience when they suffer from mental health issues, uh, which is a criminal and carceral response. So as a black man, a black immigrant, um, the response to Gene's increasing difficulty with uh, schizophrenia was to incarcerate him for crimes as opposed to treat him for mental health issues. As Free notes, Gene had been a recipient of the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, meant to allow undocumented immigrants who came to the country as children to stay and work. Convictions for serious crimes can make you ineligible for DACA. Gene had, however, been in and out of jail in North Carolina for small offenses, such as petty theft, vagrancy, and marijuana possession. But once Donald Trump took office, Gene became a target for deportation. That's because Trump did away with priorities the Obama administration had set in its second term to deport only those people who had committed serious crimes. Now, Anyone without papers was fair game. And so in February of 2017, um, the U.S. Immigration um, and Customs Enforcement agent who worked at the Wake County Jail under a 287G agreement uh, put an immigration detainer on him. Immigration detainers were the backbone of the Obama administration's uh, immigration enforcement efforts that helped that administration deport more people than any other president combined. So detainers are requests I send to local police to hold people it suspects are removable for about 48 hours after they're due to be released. That's so the agency can take them into custody and start deportation proceedings. Around 70% of ICE's arrests of immigrants are made this way. So the agency really relies on this method. But the legality of detainers has been questioned by multiple courts and localities that heed these requests have been plagued by wrongful detention lawsuits. Really, right at the end of the first term, uh, the Obama administration came out with some prosecutorial discretion memos um, and kind of softened the scope of people who would be put into immigration proceedings and people who would be subject to two immigration detainers. Um, the rationale was that they would heighten the burden for the government uh, to ensure that only folks who were priorities um, in a world of limited resources were actually being detained. Uh, you see the infamous um, 
criminals, not not families. Um, that is, to say the least, a, a misnomer and an unfortunate extension of the criminalization narrative of black and brown bodies that created the system. Uh, but that was the idea. And that's why Gene didn't have detainers and didn't go to immigration detention um, in 2016 when he was in, in jail. It's worth noting here that immigration detention is a civil matter, meaning immigrants are only held while they wait for hearings or for deportation. But legislation, executive actions, and guidance over the last few decades has resulted in an immigration enforcement system that has increasingly blurred together with the U.S. criminal justice system, becoming more punitive over time. As a consequence, the detention apparatus has expanded greatly. Anyway, that's how Gene ends up at Stewart, the second largest ICE facility in the United States and one with a track record of abuse complaints. Even before he gets there, there are red flags. The Office of Inspector General conducted a site visit and interviewed a number of people, including the Health Services Administrator, Captain James Blankenship, who works for ICE. And they all uh, concluded that understaffing was a serious problem at the facility. One person who the OIG interviewed even called the place a ticking bomb because of understaffing and lack of communication, specifically as to people medic- people's medical needs and the issues that ICE was supposed to be resolving. Um, with respect to people's files. Core Civic, the private operator of Stewart, had also set up a contract a year before Gene died that was supposed to expand medical services and beef up suicide prevention. And it was going to suicide-proof the the, uh, solitary confinement cells. That contract was never signed until a week after Gene died. In the days leading up to Gene's suicide, things go very wrong. He's placed into suicide watch upon his arrival but then taken off it without documented consultation with the primary care physician. That's according to ICE's internal review of the incident. This review, viewed by CQ Roll Call, also noted a detailed timeline of events, including that Jean had clearly expressed a desire for self-harm to staff at Stewart multiple times and told them he was hearing voices. He even pleaded for an increased dosage of his medication. All of these issues appeared to have been ignored. And the tapes we've obtained clearly demonstrate that. Here's a registered nurse on duty, Anderson. She's telling investigators that she communicated concerns about Jean's mental condition to the ICE officer in charge of behavioral health just a few days before. I went over there, I was like, are you okay? And he was just like, these fucking voices, they they won't leave me the fuck alone. I was like, said, "Are, are they telling you to harm yourself or anybody? And he's like, first he said no. He's like, they're just trying to control me. They're trying to control what I say. They're trying to control what I do. Um, they're trying to control my drawings. Um, and I said, but they're not telling you to harm yourself or anybody, right? He's like, well, yeah, they're telling me to commit suicide because the people here are simple, but I don't want to harm myself. What, what's the standard thing for that? I mean, what happens after that? Well, I sent Mrs. Cavalry... Because it's after hours, I sent her a telephone encounter um, and just explained to her everything that I saw and what he said to me. And I sent it to her. She she messaged me back and said that he has an appointment with the... Because I don't think that they can change medications. So to recap, Anderson relays her concerns to ICE's on-site behavioral health specialist, Kimberly Calvary. And Calvary tells her that Jean would see an off-site clinical psychiatrist to get a bump in his medication in a few days. 
But when Calvary is asked by investigators, she omits disclosing that she knew Jean had exhibited suicidal ideation at that facility. Has he ever had any uh, suicidal stuff before? Before he came. So it wasn't here then? Before he got in immigration custody, he had had some issues. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes, and that, that's what I'm getting to. It, was, it okay. had a history, but it wasn't here. It was The jail setting is right. as gotcha. So now, all these signs go ignored, and we come back to the night of the death. That night, the security guard on duty, Freddie Wims, failed to check in on Jean and admitted that he had falsified the logs to suggest that he had. Here's Wims talking to investigators. Any reason that the cameras would show anything different? They probably will. They probably will. And, um, you know, I, I got, uh, it's probably going to be time in between because I'm doing rounds. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, not rounds, but I got to do the paperwork, try to get it. You're right just there. saying longer times between yeah. that? Okay. They probably will. How many times do you think you really did check on them? Uh, I don't know. I couldn't say. I don't you know. Okay. Probably got to look at that kind of stuff. Okay. Um... Would, do you think you at least, from the first round count to the time you saw him hanging, do you think you at least checked on him once or twice or probably not? Probably once, I believe. Okay. Do you remember about what time that I, was? I couldn't say. I don't know, sir. Okay. So you did, you did initially check on him. That was time yes, one. Sir. Yes, sir. I know you, that. You checked on him one time during the two hours, and that was time two. I and then the third check was he was hanging. Yes. Okay. ISIS's own root cause analysis ultimately found that, quote, a number of errors had occurred by personnel in both the medical staff and the security staff, unquote. The Homeland Security Office of Inspector General also looked into the matter, and its report noted that understaffing may have been an additional issue. The OIG referred Wims for criminal prosecution, but the U.S. Attorney's Office declined to prosecute him. According to Free, the lawyer, Wims was just a fall guy for larger failures in the system. And so there were so many people in solitary confinement uh, units that night that he simply didn't have time to do all of the visual checks that he was tasked with. Um, that is not a problem with the guard. That is a problem with the people who set the schedules for the guards and the people who oversight, oversee the contractors. So putting all of this on some guards that you can fire who are sort of at the bottom of a broken system um, is convenient, but is not an accurate reflection of the accountability that is going to have to happen if we're going to stop ICE from um, allowing more people to die unnecessary deaths in custody. Overall, there are around 200 ICE facilities where immigrants are held, including local jails and prisons that contract with ICE. Around 81% of ICE detainees, however, are held in a handful of large privately owned facilities run by companies like Geo Group and CoreCivic. Even though issues of medical neglect, abuse, and mistreatment have come up in many of them, these private companies keep getting ICE contracts and making good money off them. In fact, ICE has been trying to lock in 10-year contracts for some of these large facilities this year. So how much money do they make? In government filings, CoreCivic reported $976 million in earnings for the first six months of 2020. 52% of which came from its federal partners. And while the company saw COVID-19-related drop in profits this year, its executives remained confident that they'd continue to make money. Here's Chief Financial Officer David Garfinkel in an August 2020 earnings call. 
Yeah, it does seem the pace of declines is slowing a little bit. And Joe, as a reminder, we discussed last quarter about two-thirds of our federal contracts have uh, guarantees, if you will, or fixed monthly payments. So we're protected on the downside somewhat. And that's really to provide the capacity to the federal government in the event that they uh, see a surge or an increase in populations. And I'd say based on the conversations we've had with our federal government partners, they are expecting increases in federal populations eventually. Um, you know, the, the, the crystal ball is, and the challenge is predicting when that will occur. According to the Cato Institute, the ICE custody death rate, that's the number of deaths over the total number of detainees admitted every fiscal year, had started falling after 2004. Reasons included changes in detention standards, total number of detainees, their demographics, and the time they spent in custody. A New York University study released in 2015 found that suicide remained an overrepresented cause of ICE custody deaths, meaning a disproportionate number of people in ICE custody died this way. In fiscal 2020, the rate of deaths climbed back up almost to its 2004 level. That's because one, the number of deaths rose, and two, the admissions fell due to fast-track expulsions of migrants at the border. It's not really clear if a Democratic administration, should Joe Biden be elected, will go to great lengths to unravel Trump-era detention policies. ICE and private companies have had to face lawsuits because of these deaths. In Jean's case, CoreCivic settled out of court, but the specifics of that settlement have not been publicly disclosed. In a statement to CQ Roll Call, the company's spokesperson, Amanda Gilchrist, had this to say, quote, The safety and well-being of the individuals entrusted in our care is our top priority. We take seriously our obligation to adhere to federal performance-based national detention standards in our ICE-contracted facilities, unquote. She also made a point to note that ICE was responsible for medical and mental health care at the time of Jean's death, not core civic staff. Whatever the liability companies and government agencies bear in these cases, the true cost is borne by the people behind the numbers, those who lose their lives or their loved ones in an immigrant detention system that critics say is inherently unjust. Here's Jean's younger brother, Oscar, again. We miss him dearly every day, but he was a great person. Um, even while he was still detaining Stuart um, and, you know, I would call back and speak to him. We would always make plans for the future um, on certain things that we would do and certain things that I wanted to learn. Um, but unfortunately, um, a lot of those moments, those future moments that um, we were all waiting for as a family, um, I, I don't even want to say taken because it'd be an understatement. We were robbed of them um, because of pure negligence um, on uh, how people were treated, how he was treated. And how people continue to be treated, um, you know, in these places that are supposed to be sanctioned by the government. You're supposed to be trusting on these government officials um, to take good care of, even though, you know, they're immigrants, they're still people. Um, and uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's quite sickening. I'm Tanvi Misra for CQ Roll Call.